was the early church and they had the power of God in it and, and that was for them. But now, seemingly the power is gone. How many of you know that God wants us to be just as powerful today as they were 2,000 years ago? And that's a lie the devil has sold to, to the church is that, well, you know, with the apostles, when they all died off, then the power of God has evaporated and we can't have what they had. But that's a lie of the devil. We can have just as much power as they had in the early church. But in order to have that power, we need to do what they did. And so in order to know what they did, we need to go into the word of God and go back into the book of Acts and take a look at that. And that's what we're doing. And so without reviewing here this morning, let's just jump right in. Acts, the sixth chapter and the first verse says now in those days when the number of the of the disciples was multiplying. So this church in Jerusalem was growing. The power of God was moving. And we've talked about that over the last weeks. There were remember, what did they put first in that that? Uh, early church, they put the word of God first. They put the, the teaching of the word of God first. The apostles doctrine, doctrine means teaching. They put that first. And then in fellowship, and remember we taught you the fellowship was not hanging around having a burger and fries, just talking about the good old days. It was uh, around the word of God, talking about the word of God. That's what the fellowship was. And in breaking of bread had to do with communion. Not going to the bread company and and hanging out. And there's nothing wrong with having a burger and fries or going to the bread company. But if you want the power of God, your fellowship's going to need to be around the word of God and and receiving of communion. And and that's what the breaking of bread was. And, and in prayer, and you see again and again as the disciples went to prayer, as the apostles went to prayer, there was the power of God in manifestation. And anyway, the church was growing as a result. And in verse 1 here, it says, In those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying. There arose a complaint. Now, again, one thing I've learned, and, and you know, it's been so wonderful the last, I'd say the last three years. We have had, we've been going 21 years, but the last three years, give or take, maybe a little longer than that. This, this coming to church here has just been like coming to heaven on earth. It's just, there's... Believe me, back years ago, sometimes I'd get up on Sunday morning and I thought I was driving to my own funeral. You know, have you ever, how many's ever felt like they was driving to their own funeral? You know, you'd come in here and there was murmuring and complaining, this one crabbing about this and that one crabbing about that, this one talking about this one and that one talking about that one and all of that stuff, you know. How many of you know there's no place for that in the house of God? And again and again, you see that they, that these people in the book of Acts were of one accord. They were in unity, you see. And so the last many, many years, that this is just a wonderful atmosphere. We have less people than we've ever had. But I tell you what, greater, greater, greater unity than we've ever had. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, a complaint arose... Against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, those are the Greek-speaking Jews, there was a, 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 a dispute here, a complaint going on, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Remember how everyone sold their goods and laid them at the apostles' feet? Remember that? We talked about that. And then daily, anyone who had need would be, uh, their needs would be met out of that. But apparently, the uh, the... Greek-speaking Jews, the widows there, were being neglected. Remember, the church was very large here, and so uh, that happened. 
And it was unfortunate. And apparently the leadership, the apostles were unaware of it. But it was brought to their attention. Look here in verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So notice the twelve, the twelve apostles, Peter and John and those guys said, uh, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now you have to understand that the the disciples here, the apostles, they had already paid their dues, hadn't they? And what I mean by that, did they serve in Jesus' ministry? So it's not that they're above doing that. They had already done that for three and a half years, hadn't they? Is that right? So, so, and, and any of you people out there that are listening, whether in this, uh, in this church or over the internet, if you if you desire to be in ministry, let me tell you that you don't start behind a pulpit. You start in the helps ministry. You, you, that's where you start, you see. You start cleaning the toilets in the church or working on the grounds. You understand that's where that's where ministers start out in in helps ministry. You'll see that as we go here. So the disciples had the apostles had already done that. And now it was time for them to. And they said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, here's something else, and I want you to get, get this now, what I'm going to say. Up until now, we've said much about the power in the church, uh, and we've emphasized the power in the church and the teaching of the Word of God and the power and the flowing of the Holy Spirit. We put much emphasis on that, and that's good and that's right. But now we need to look at another aspect that often gets overlooked. And if you want to have a, a vibrant, growing church... You're going to have to have something in addition to the teaching of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have uh, you're going to need to have a bunch of helpers. The Bible, it, it, the Greek word is diakonos or deacons, which means helpers or servants. You're going to need to have a bunch of people in that church that have servants hearts that are willing to serve. Did you get that? Did you did you hear me on that? And if you want to have a, a New Testament church in 2016, not only are you going to have to have a pastor that teaches the word of God, and, and, and the Holy Ghost will flow, certainly, but you're going to need to have a bunch of helpers in that church, volunteers, whether they're volunteers or paid staff, whatever the case, you're going to have to have a bunch of people that are quality people, competent people. And oftentimes when we look for volunteers, a lot of times we're just, and I don't just mean me, but pastors, because I've talked to many pastors throughout the many years, and we look for volunteers, and a lot of times we're just looking for anybody that'll straggle in and raise their hand and volunteer. And you know what, if you just have those kind of people volunteering and serving in, in key roles in the church, you're going to have a rumpy dump church. Did you hear what I just said? I said you're going to have a rumpy dump church if you just, you know, just begging people. You guess, anybody volunteer? Who will? You don't want the who will people working in key positions in your church. You want sharp, quick 
competent people that, notice here, notice what he says here. He says, look at verse 3, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. He's not talking about somebody to stand behind the pulpit and preach here. He's talking about qualifications needed to serve at the door. Or to serve tables or to usher. Or to work in the sound booth or the projection or to... you understand what I'm saying? We need to understand that. And I think we put so much emphasis on the pulpit. That the pulpit needs to... You know, the pastor needs to be of good reputation and, and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But yes, that's true. But the, the, the helpers in the church need to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Can anybody say amen? So if the church isn't all that it's, that it should be, don't just look at the pulpit. Look at, go look in the mirror. See, a lot of times everybody looking at the pastor, a lot of times all you need to do, if things aren't going the way they should, is go look in the mirror. Is that right? And then in verse 4, the apostles say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. I've been criticized vehemently over the last 20 plus years as a pastor because of verse 4. People say, Pastor, why don't you just hang out with us more? Why don't you just, you know, you know, be more social? We're looking for a social cat. We're, you know, we're looking for a social dude. Uh, do you want a social dude or do you want a man of God that has the power of God? What do you want? Who do you want showing up at the hospital when you're laying there at the point of death? Do you want a social dude or do you want a man of God full of faith and power? Now, which do you want? When you're laying there at death's door, do you want somebody that's going to come in and tell you a joke? Or somebody that's going to come in and be able to use the name of Jesus and and have the power of God flow? What do you want? You'll understand me better if you'll really get verse 4 down inside of you. What is the man of God supposed to do? Hmm? <laughs> what does verse 4 say? A man of God is supposed to give himself on Sunday morning. Is that what it said? Once in a while. Is that what it said? Occasionally? What does that word continually mean? It means continually. Pastor Terry, why don't you get into our fantasy football league because of verse 4? I don't need to say anymore. I think I've said it all I need to say right there. Nothing wrong with fantasy football. Pastor Terry, why don't you come to the donut club because of verse 4? We uh, we joke about that, and I understand the joking side, but but and I have no don't have a problem with that. But this is very serious. 
I said, this is very serious. A man of God, a woman of God should, I'm talking about somebody that stands behind the holy pulpit here, ought to continually give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. You understand that? Your mother, talking to Debbie Patterson. The power of God went into her when I laid my hands on her. Looked like in the natural, it was all over. I went to see her just the other day. My wife and I walk in the room and just about fell on the floor. She's sitting up talking to us just, just more sharp than I ever saw here at the church. Now there's a lot of people praying on that. I'm not taking, don't take any credit. Don't ever touch what belongs to God. But I'm just saying, in the midnight hour, do you want somebody to come in that's come from the donut club or the fantasy football club? Or do you want somebody that's, that's been with God and you come in from, the, from, from continually prayer and minister the word? What do you want? Ask yourself what you want. Do you want a cool dude pastor that's up telling you a bunch of jokes? Or do you want a, a minister that comes in from the presence of God? What do you want? But it's not enough for the pastor to be full of the word of God. You as helpers in the church need to be full of the word of God as well. Can you say amen? Amen. Just how bad do we want to have a New Testament church? Now notice here. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose. Now notice they chose Stephen. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're looking for table waiters here. We're, we're looking for the, the, the table waiters. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip. And then there's some other names mentioned there. You can read them. Pro, Pro, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, or Timon, however you want to say that, Parmenius. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, in other words, he became a Jew. He was a Greek, a Gentile, became a Jew, and then he became a Christian. I want you to underline, if you have a Bible there, or underline it in your mind, Stephen, Philip, and Nicholas. The others we don't know much about, but the next chapter has to do with Stephen, and then after that, Philip, and then we want to talk about Nicholas. And in fact, I'll just uh, talk about him right now. But let's look at verse 6 before I do. Whom they set before the apostles. Now notice, these seven men were chosen by the people. They set them before the apostles. And the apostles prayed. And they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That means even many of the Jewish priests priests got saved and, and, and became Christians. But I want to talk about real quickly Nicholas. It's interesting. We know and we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. Stephen and Philip, wonderful men of God. Nicholas started out as a man of God. Now listen carefully. Nicholas here started out as a man of God. He was chosen by the people. 
And the apostles, we're talking Peter and John and these guys, prayed and then laid hands upon him as well as the others. And no doubt he went on for a good while serving. Talking about Nicholas here. But do you know years later he became a heretic? An apostate, he departed from the faith. And you can see that. Have you ever heard of the Nicolaitans? If you read the book of Revelation, he's the one that started that cult. And the Apostle John, who here laid hands upon him to set him apart for this ministry of waiting on tables, years later would have to rebuke him. And you can read about it in, in John's epistles. The very horrible cult that he started. The question is, why would he... Did the apostles pray concerning this guy and lay their hands on him? Why wouldn't a God pointed that out to the apostles way back there yonder? Well, I don't know, other than I can tell you God was giving Nicholas a chance. Just like anybody ever hear of Judas Iscariot? He had an opportunity. He didn't have to betray Jesus. Now, God in his foreknowledge knew that he would, but yet Judas had a free will. He could have served the Lord Jesus and been faithful to him all the way. But he didn't. He, he betrayed the Lord Jesus, but God yet gave him a chance to serve in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. S similarly here with Nicholas. I've learned it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I just thought I'd point that out. Now notice here in verse 7 again, you see that when you have the... Now, now if you want a church to grow, now, now listen to me. If you want a church to grow and have more people coming to it and being blessed by the word of God, it's not just the responsibility of a pastor. It's the responsibility of the pastor and it's a responsibility of the, the volunteers in that church to be all that they can be for the Lord. They need to be, you need to be just as full of faith and power as I am. Can you say amen? And if you're not, then we'll not get the fullness of what the Lord wants for this church. Okay? So we all have a responsibility. Now notice here in verse 8, and Stephen, now we're going to talk about Stephen for a while, full of faith and power. So the door greeters, I'll say it again, the ushers, everybody serving in the church ought to be full of what? Full of what? Faith and power. And I'll just say this, faith has to do with staying in the word of God. Power has to do with praying in other tongues, really, if you go right down the root of it. I want to ask you, you don't have to answer, this is for you to think about, how much praying in other tongues did you do this morning before you came to church? And so ask yourself that. And if, you, and if you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're, you're coming up short. Now, how many of you know you can be born of the Spirit on your way to heaven, but yet not be baptized with the Spirit? Going to heaven, see, you, to go to heaven, you need to be born again, born of the Spirit. But we'll see in a few minutes. Hopefully we'll get there today. There's an experience after you're born of the Spirit where you can be baptized with the Spirit. See, Did you understand that? And the initial evidence of that speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Now, if you're visiting today, I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of other tongues. 
We ought to be praying in other tongues every day. Did you hear me? If you don't have power in your life, that's one of the reasons why. If, you don't, if you're not speak, praying in tongues on a regular daily basis, you see. Now, I'm not going to teach on tongues this morning, but I could. Uh, but, but it's something that when it says here, Stephen was full of faith, that means he was in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And power it makes the implication that he was, he was full of the Holy Ghost praying in tongues. And notice he did great wonders and signs among the people. So could we have the ushers lay hands on a sick person before they get before they make it to the healing line? Could the ushers get a sick person at the door, lay hands on them and get them healed before they ever get to the healing line and get to the pastor? Yes or no? Yes. Think about that. Great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. And then there's some names listed. Disputing with Stephen. So Stephen, a man of full of faith and power. And here comes a religious crowd and they're going to oppose him. They, and notice verse 10. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So you see, we didn't. Stephen was, wasn't just a rummy dumb that we just straggled together and get him to fill a department. He was a man of faith and power. He was very competent. And uh, he was able, able, he knew the word of God to such a degree that these, these professional religious people that came to oppose him, they couldn't resist his wisdom. So I tell you what, if you get a church where the pastor is full of faith and power and you get all the volunteers full of faith and power, now you got yourself something. And then in verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, or they got people together to lie and whatnot. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Verse 14, for we have heard him say... That this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Well, they were just telling lies on Stephen, weren't they? But it's interesting, the last thing that's mentioned in verse 14, now notice this, change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now, now, now watch this, verse 15, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face. As the face of an angel. Now it's interesting. These religious Jews come against Stephen. And they, they, they say, well, he wants to change what Moses said. And isn't it interesting? No more than they said that. Stephen's face began to shine. Does anybody remember what happened to Moses' face when he came down off of Mount Sinai? His face was shining. This is God putting his stamp of approval on Stephen. See, these religious Jews, they're, they're, they're coming against Stephen because, uh, you know, they're saying, well, Stephen, you're speaking against Moses. And just that quick, the same thing that happened to Moses happened to Stephen. Don't you? Isn't God cool? Isn't he wonderful? What a way to answer a critic. Think about that. That's outstanding, whether you realize it or not, what I just said there in verse 15. The same thing that happened to Moses, his face shining. You want to change what Moses did. And then Stephen's face begins to shine just like Moses's. Stephen was a man of God and God put his stamp of approval on him.
And then I'm not going to take the time to read all of chapter 7. You can read that because Stephen gives a, a defense and if you want an overview or a review of Old Testament history, you ought to read chapter 7. I'll not take the time to do that. But one thing it does show, it does show that, the, that the, the people that are waiting tables ought to have a working knowledge of the Word of God. Did you hear what I just said? You know how many Christians I've run into over the years? Multitudes of them that they, they don't have a working knowledge of the Word of God. If you want to serve in the church, you need to have a working knowledge of the Word of God. And if you don't have a work in knowledge, get, get a work in knowledge. You've got to have a work in knowledge of the end times. If you don't, well, now's your opportunity. Wednesday night, right here at 6.30, we're going to give you an opportunity to get a work in knowledge of the end times. Amen. And in fact, I'm going to reveal who the Antichrist is. No, no, I'm not, no. I remember I was teaching on the end times many Years ago, at another setting, another place, and there was a guy in there. Anybody know who Paul Bunyan is? Well, he, he, he yeah, he's yeah. Now, now he's a fictional character, right? But he's a big guy. Well, there's this guy. His name was D, and he is a big. I mean, big guy. Just looked like a lumberjack. I mean, he was just a big guy, big. And so I'm teaching on the two witnesses. Who are those two witnesses, you know, in the book of Revelation, you know? And there's been much dispute over who they are, you know. <laughs> and so after I got done teaching that one night, Dee was sitting there. And uh, he said, he said uh, Pastor Terry, he said, I know who one of the two witnesses are. I said, oh, yeah? And I said, well, I think they're Enoch and Elijah. And he said, well, I think one of them is me, speaking of himself. And I said, well, D, no, no, that's not right. And he stood up. He said, well, I think I am one of them. And I said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> if you want to be one of them, then you be one of them. I remember John Osteen. Anybody remember? Not Joel, but his dad. John he was preaching one time and there was a guy in the back, this big auditorium, he's preaching. And this one guy in the back just kept, every time he said something, the guy said, Amen, brother, preach it. You know, and it got to the point, a few of those are fine, but then it gets to the point, it was annoying him. And finally, he said, who is that back there making all that noise? And this big guy stands up and he says, it's me. And he said, you're big enough to do it, that's fine, just go right on. He says, What was I talking about? <laughs> now look at verse 54 in chapter 7. When they heard these things, so now Stephen gives his defense. Wonderful defense. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Sounds like some of the junior high students I, I used to teach years ago. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Now listen, when you die, this is the way you want to go. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they, that's the crowd that was 
persecuting Stephen, cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord. You know, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Think about that. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who later would become the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the last words I want to say before I go. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Sounds like something someone hanging on a cross said one time. Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. His spirit left his body and his spirit went to be with Jesus in heaven. Here's a man of God full of faith and power. They stoned him. Somebody asked me one time, why didn't God deliver him, you know? Well, because this man had the call of the martyr upon his life. You notice the apostle Paul was persecuted very much, wasn't he? But he lived his life out. And he died on his own terms. But yet this guy here, why didn't God send angels and deliver him? Because he had the call of the martyr on his life. You know, a martyr is one that's put to death for what they believe in. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was put to death for that, that, that cause, for Jesus. The call of the martyr. And when somebody dies a martyr's death, one thing I've noticed over the years is I've studied martyrs and Fox's Book of the Martyrs and all. When someone dies a martyr's death, truly a martyr's death, it seems to me that they'll always because of their death and their valiancy in it, will cause other people to come to the Lord because of it. Say, well, where do you see that here? I see it right here. Saul, Saul of Tarsus, witnessed. He was right there listening to what Stephen had to say. He watched his valiant death and how he, 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 he stayed true to Jesus. And I thoroughly believe that that affected Saul. And sometime later, because of that and Jesus appearing to him, he got born again and became the Apostle Paul. Can anybody say amen? You read Fox's Book of the Martyrs and you see some of the martyrs in the early church as they went to their deaths valiantly. In fact, one, one died such a valiant death and kept his faith in Jesus all the way to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to be burned at the stake or whatever it was. And he was so valiant. The Christian was so valiant. Now, I think it was he was going to have his head chopped off. He was so valiant and, remained, and maintained his testimony for Jesus that by the time that they got to the chopping blocks, one of the guys, one of the executioners, gave his heart to Jesus and laid down his head on the chopping block to die for Jesus as well. I want to be that kind of a witness for Jesus. How about you? So Stephen. Now look at chapter 8, verse 1. Let me go on. Can I go on for just a little bit longer? Am I boring anybody? Okay. And Saul... Was consenting to his death. 
And at, the, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do you ever notice Jesus, if you go back to what Jesus said to them before he was, after he was raised from the dead, before he was taken up to the right hand of the Father, he said, start in Jerusalem and then preach the gospel out in Jerusalem and then into Judea and then into Samaria and then the other parts of the earth. Do you ever notice we're about eight years after the resurrection of Jesus and they're all still right here in Jerusalem? Sometimes it takes adversity to get Christians to do what they're supposed to do. Sure, they had a growing church. That's good and wonderful. But they were supposed to branch out and not just keep it there in Jerusalem, but branch out into Judea, Samaria, and, in, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And sometimes it takes, it takes an adversity to get Christians uh, to do what they're supposed to do, to wake them up, to shake them. You know what I'm saying? I have a powerful church, but how many of you know the church doesn't just need to stay in Jerusalem. It needs to go and do what Jesus said, reach the earth. Is that correct? But yet about eight years, eight or nine years has gone by and they haven't really done that. I don't think we ought to wait for adversity to wake us up to do what God told us to do. Why don't we just do it because he told us to do it? Anyway, verse 2, devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Well, if you think about it, they had just carried Ananias and Sapphira last week. Now they're taking Stephen. And made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, of course, you see, he hasn't got saved yet. He's still Saul. But I believe that Stephen's death did affect his heart. Now, look at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip. Now, have we seen Philip? We saw him earlier. He was one of those seven, wasn't he? Now, Philip, it's interesting, he started out as a table waiter. Now God's going to use him as an evangelist. Remember that this powerful ministry that we're about to see here was possible because Philip was willing to wait tables. Okay? He went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. He preached Christ to them. Now watch this. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. That's some cool stuff there. Getting people free, getting people set free, watching demon-possessed people get set free, paralyzed people being able to walk, lame people healed. That's what God wants going on now, guys, gals. Now, I feel impressed to just ask you as a rhetorical question, how many of you invited a crippled person to church this week? How many went out and find somebody, found somebody that was sick and invited them to church? See, the healing power of God is here in this ministry. But you see, if, if, if you all don't go out and get the sick and bring them in, then... See, we all, we all play a part, don't we? Don't just invite people to get saved, but hey, go out and find some sick people and bring them over here and we'll pray, lay hands on them and, and release the power of God in them. Can you say amen? 
I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just trying to bring a, wake us all up and bring us up to what, what we, we need to be doing here. Didn't you see in the ministry of Jesus and in this early church, they brought, they brought, they brought, they brought the sick, they brought the sick, they brought the sick, they brought the sick, they brought the sick. Is that right? I tell you what, you go up to any hospital, because I do hospital visitations, you go to any hospital, you have a dickens of a time finding a parking spot. There's a lot of sick people out there, isn't there? Let's go out and invite some of them to church to get in on the power of God. Can you say amen? Just, just trying to, trying to just, just encourage you a little bit, exhort you a little bit, exhort you. Let's invite, don't, not, don't, don't just go look to get people saved, that's the most important thing, but how about bringing the sick, get the sick here and, and, and you know what? Bring the sick in, we'll release the power of God, get them healed, and then we'll get them saved. Can you say amen? All right, so Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, preaches Christ to them. Notice the preaching of Christ must come first. And multitudes with one accord, he did things spoken by Philip, verse 6, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, verse 7, for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There was great joy in the city. These people heard the message of Jesus, they received Jesus, they're saved. Now notice verse 9. There was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a great power of God. How many of you know the devil can masquerade his power, and it can look like it's God moving, but it's not God at all. It's really the power of the devil. That's why you need to know the word of God, so you're not deceived. Did you hear what I just said? And, and they thought this Simon, the sorcerer, was, was of God, but he wasn't. He was of the devil. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were, now they were water baptized, then Simon himself, this sorcerer, this magician, this sorcerer, this wizard, himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed. Notice this, was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Let me tell you what. Here you've got a sorcerer, a magician, who had been soothsaying the people. And now this guy himself sees the real power of God and it moves him and he wants the power of God. I tell you what, the power of God is more powerful than the power of the devil. Can you say amen to that? God will always outdo the devil. Not even close. You don't need to be afraid of the devil if you run with God. You run with God, you need to realize the devil's afraid of you. Did you hear me? I remember one time my Oak Grammy, we called her Oak Grammy because she came from Oakville. She's my grandma. She's in a nursing home latter years of her life. And there was, in this nursing home, there was a woman in the nursing home that was, uh, uh, it was clear there was some sort of a demon in her. And I was a a 16-year-old boy, and I just learned some things about the authority in the name of Jesus. And this woman, you could hear her coming down the hall. And she came and stood at the doorway of my grandma's room, you know. And just under my breath, because she was making noise and causing some, some trouble there. And just under my breath, I said, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to the demon in her. I said, you'll do no, uh, you, you will not uh, uh, cause us any problems or hinder us in any way. And I said, leave here in Jesus' name. I just said that under my breath. And no more than I said that, that woman, it wasn't her. It was something on the inside of her, just 
demonic. And here's what, what is said. I'll leave here. Look right at me. Hair stood up on the back of my neck. I'll leave here, but not because of you. And she walked off. And no, she didn't leave because of me. She left because of the name of Jesus, the one backing me up. Can you say amen? I said, can you say amen? I said, can you say amen? While I'm at it, I'll throw another one in on you. Talking about this. I remember I went to this years ago before I got real on fire for the Lord and serving the Lord, you know. But I was born again, full of, full, full of the Holy Spirit, loved the Lord. And uh, I remember I went to this uh, golf tournament with these uh, f- friends of mine. And it was a Saturday and Sunday event. And, 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 and I should have been on, in church on Sunday, but I didn't go. I played golf. You forgive me? On me, right? There, do that. Does that mean, you know what that means? Shame on me. Shame on me. Years ago. I was probably 20 years old. I don't know. First time I had sexual relations, I was 25 years old and I was married to this beautiful woman right here. You understand that? Now you need to know that. We went to this golf tournament. And uh, it was Saturday night going into the hotel. And the two older guys, I was with them, they're friends of mine. And uh, sad to say, one of them wasn't always real faithful to his wife. I didn't know it at the time. And so this fella and this other friend, they, they go up. They're older than me, about 20 years older than me. They go in and they're checking in at the, at the desk. And I was out getting some luggage out or whatever. And as I'm walking up the walk with the luggage, this woman comes up to me. Very beautiful, very beautiful woman. And she comes right up to me and she says, and it was it was it was demonic. She said, this is what she said. We know you, we know you won't associate with us. And walked off. And I thought, what you talking about, Willis? I didn't know what she meant. So I went on in, I walk in, and my two friends are up at the desk, and they said, Terry, what did that woman say to you? And I said, why do you want to know? And then before I said anything, they said, well, she came up to us and solicited us for prostitution. They turned her down. But you know what? That's one of the greatest compliments I ever got that the devil knows who I am and he knows that I won't associate with him. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Can you say amen? I won't associate with that stuff. Associate with prostitutes. Now we'll share the gospel with them and get them saved. Can you say amen? Yeah, you serve God, you walk with God, and you could even you could even mess up and miss church on Sunday, but you can still be in Christ and the devil can still know who you are and know that you won't associate with him. Glory to God. Amen. See, he knew that I wasn't going to associate with that, that sort of thing. The devil's real, but let me tell you something. The power of God's more real. Let's walk with him. What do you say? What do you say? Let's walk with him. Let's walk with him. What do you say? I'm not boring you, am I?
Come on, let's finish this up. Give me a few more minutes and, and, and we'll close here. I might even think of another story to tell you. Here, uh, it's all true though, every last bit of it. Did the devil know who Paul was? You can see that in the book of Acts. Remember, those seven sons of Sceva tried to cast the devil out of that, 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 that demon-possessed person and they couldn't do it. Remember, when they came in there, they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? See, they weren't born again. But if you're born again, the devil knows who you are and he's afraid of you if you walk with the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Now, notice here, uh, what verse did I leave off on? Okay, let's go to 14. Now, when the apostles who were... Now, now notice, are these people... Now, now, stay with me. Are these people in Samaria, are they saved right now? They received the word of God, didn't they? Have they received the word of God? Right. Now, you need to get this, and then we'll close. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been, and the implication here, water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me, let me, let me say something here. These people in Samaria had heard the word of God, they received the word of God, they were born again, and they were baptized. You okay? Now, if there was no more for them to receive, why would Peter and John have to go there? Well, there was something more for them to receive. Now, these people were already now on their way to heaven. They were born of the Spirit, but they'd not yet been baptized with the Spirit. And that's what, when it says the Spirit hadn't fallen on them, that means they hadn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. So that's why Peter and John had to come there. See, evidently, Philip didn't have that sort of a a, a ministry. You know, I've noticed this over the years. Some people have a ministry of laying on of hands, and they can lay hands on people, uh, Christians that haven't been filled with the Spirit, and they'll be filled with the Spirit just like that. Philip didn't have that sort of ministry. That's why Peter and John had to come there. And notice verse 17, Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. See, they had the Holy Spirit in them, when they got born again earlier, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. But here they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Simon, that's that saucer, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit had been given. He offered him money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See that? But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. How many of you know you can't buy the power of God with all the money in the world? Is that right? Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart's not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken will come upon me. Did he repent right there? Yes, he did. Thank God that he did, because if he hadn't, he might have fallen dead like Ananias and Zephyr. See, if they'd have repented back there in the church, they wouldn't have had to fall dead. They didn't repent. They fell dead. This guy repented. Can you say amen? If your heart's not right, repent and get it right. You could see he wanted to get it right. And he did. I believe it. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. See, they got born again, then they got baptized with the Spirit. Now look at verse 28. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is the table waiter. 
Now an angel of the Lord speaking to him. said, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went. And behold, the man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now notice, this guy, Philip, was in the middle of a citywide revival, wasn't he? In the middle of a, in the middle of a citywide revival. And now, God's going to send him out into the desert to minister to one person. But that one person is going to be able to affect multitudes of people, in fact, a whole nation. When he goes back to Ethiopia, and history records that it happened. And returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before it shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth. This was, who, 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 who was he talking about here? Jesus, right? So the eunuch answered Philip and said... I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached who? Preached who? Preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart. Now now get a hold of this. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in many Bible translations or versions, verse 37 isn't in there. Because in the original Greek, some theologians argue that verse 37 isn't in there. Some argue that it should be in there. You see this a few places in the New Testament where, where the, some of the original texts don't include a verse or, or a part of a verse. And so here's what I always do when you run across those situations. Here's what I always do. Assume that it, verse 37 Shouldn't be in there, but then go see if you can prove what verse 37 is saying from other parts of the of the Bible. And dear friends, I won't take the time to do it, but you can prove every word of verse 37 from scores of other scriptures in the Bible. Therefore, I believe it ought to be in there. You shouldn't be water baptized until you first believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then and only then you should be water baptized. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again and on your way to heaven before you ever go into the waters of baptism. Can you say amen? A lot of people think that baptism will help save you. Water won't wash away sin. Only the blood of Jesus washes away sin. And you better be saved before you go into the water to be baptized. Because if you're not saved before you go into the waters to be baptized, all you're going to do is come up a wet sinner. Did you hear what I just said? You must be born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you in here believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you can't raise your hand, you better be able to raise your hand before you leave here. Because I'll tell you what, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross and, and, and shed his blood and was buried in the third day raised from the dead. So that you don't ever have to go to hell. But to, 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 for, to take advantage of that, you've got to repent of your sins and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And no more than you say that in an instant of time, you change your eternal destiny to one of hell to one of heaven can you say amen 
And once you believe on Jesus, then go ahead and be water baptized. And if you've never been water baptized, we've got a water baptism coming up. Sign up and get in on that. Praise God. Glory to God. And then in verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, that now watch this. You ready for this? And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Woo! How would you like that? You talk about, you talk about, you talk about beam me up, Scotty. I tell you what. You know, how many even knows what that means? Star Trek. Caught him away. Say, caught him away. I mean, how, I mean, wouldn't that be something I was just standing here and just boom, I'm caught away somewhere else. That'd, that'd, that'd wake you up, wouldn't it? I know I'm preaching a little long. Some of you wished I'd be caught away. But the thing I want to point out to you, think about this. Woo! This is really some wild stuff. This guy goes down to the city of Samaria. He preaches Christ. The lame's being healed. The cripples walking. Demons being cast out. My goodness, he goes. He runs up into the chariot. This guy, my gosh, he gets him saved. And all of that. And then, boom! Just, poof, poof, he's gone. Wow! How many of you like the wow? But do you know where the wow starts? It starts studying the Word of God, praying in the Spirit, and waiting on tables. She's heard this message before there. And he was found at Astus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. The story is told about a missionary. He did not have a car. He had no means of transportation. And he testified, and there was people to back up the testimony that he would be translated. This is many years back, from one place to another, supernaturally, to preach the gospel. This was just within the last hundred years. And guess what? Somebody gave him a car. And he never got transported like that again. He said, I wish they had to give me the car. You mean that happened within the last hundred years? Yeah, it did. The power of God. These kind of things ought to be going on today, dear friends. But you'll never get it if you got pastors that are more interested in donuts and you got people more interested in beating the Baptist to the Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> or the people are a little nervous because the pastor preached a little long. They had some long services back there in the book of Acts. I'm not saying we're going to do that, but I tell you what, if the Holy Ghost wanted it, I'd do it. It was just me and my wife sitting here. And Danny will be here. Amen. I can count on. And a lot of you would be here. You love the Lord, don't you? Did you get anything out of this today? I want what they had in the book of Acts. Ushers quickly pass the communion out. We don't receive communion every week here, but the Holy Ghost said it. Do it every week until next week will be the last uh, Sunday we do it. And then we'll just get back on a regular schedule of doing it. Pass it out quickly. I want you to stand in the presence of a holy God. We're almost done. Let's give this full reverence and full attention. The Bible says, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, those that Christians that didn't give communion the proper respect. A lot of them died young. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just saying this is a holy thing. Holy thing. 
not discerning the Lord's body, not giving its proper giving it its proper due and respect. We must give Jesus his proper due and respect. Now listen to me. While they're passing that out, you listen carefully. If you're here, you're standing in this congregation, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never received him. See, some churches you go to, you have to be a member of the church to receive communion. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. What's important is, are you born again? Before you receive the communion, you need to be born again. So if you're here and you've never been born again, here's what I tell you to do. Just hold on to that juice and that, that bread. Don't, don't, don't partake of it when the rest of us do. But as soon as I dismiss, there will be some men and women standing up here in the front. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to encourage you to do so and do it quick. Not trying to scare you. It's just, you know, going to hell is the dumbest thing anybody's ever done. Don't go to hell. Come up here. After I dismiss, say to one of these nice people that will be standing up here, say, I want, I want to get born again. And they'll, they'll lead you in a prayer. And just that quick you get born again. And then they'll serve you communion. Okay? Now, for you Christians, you're already saved. Before you partake of that bread and that, and that juice, if there's anything in your life that shouldn't ought to be there, repent of it. Right there between you and the Lord. You don't need to come tell me about, about, about your sin or your shortcoming. Tell the Lord. Tell the Lord. And he said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. Okay? So just right now, just if there's something in your life that ought to be there, repent. Confess it to the Lord just between you and him. He'll forgive you and then you receive the communion. I would suggest to you that if there's something in your life and it's there and you have no intention of making it right, then I would strongly advise you to don't partake of this because I don't want you to die young. That, she said, those are some hard words. We wouldn't hear those words from many of the megachurches in St. Louis. I'll say it again. I don't want you to die young. We're not here to entertain you. Felt the anointing on that. Somebody said, you're being critical. No, I'm just telling the truth. Judge yourself. 